0: Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis the Fourteenth. And of course, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Pop Pantheon wherever you're listening to it right now. Follow us on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod. I'm at DJ L O U I E X I V on Twitter and Instagram. Shop our merch, including our iconic niche legend dad hat at PopPantheonPod.com. And subscribe to our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access where you'll get bonus episodes of this show every single week. Can you believe that? Plus tons of other perks. That's available at patreon.com slash poppantheon or by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. Gorgeous, gorgeous, my queer pop party is having its next installments on both coasts of the country. God, we are back and forth. I can't tell you how often I'm on a plane these days. The next New York party will be on March 9th at the Sultan Room in Bushwick. And the next LA party will be on March 23rd at Los Global in Silver Lake in Los Angeles. Tickets for both of those parties are available in the show notes of this episode. And I hope to see some of you at gorgeous, gorgeous New York and gorgeous, gorgeous LA. Okay, so for this week's B-side, all of the internet is a buzz or at least my corner of the internet is a buzz about Jennifer Lopez's audacious, insane, somewhat unhinged, I don't know, what other words are there to describe this thing? Garish, ugly, <laughs> new, visual album, unexpected, kind of out of nowhere visual album, This Is Me Now, the sequel to her 2002 album, This Is Me Then, both of which chronicled various dalliances she's had with her now husband, Ben Affleck, and... I thought that that would be an interesting moment to check in on the state of the visual album in general. Obviously we associate this a lot with Beyonce having started releasing giant audiovisual projects in 2013 with her self-titled album. And then of course with Lemonade and Black is King as well. And then of course not releasing one with her most recent album Renaissance, which was a statement on the visual album in and of itself. But of course that kicked off a big trend in which tons of artists from Casey Musgraves to Halsey to Drake have released visual albums over the last 10 years. And then that made me think, what are the precursors to this? So Russ and I were able to recruit Sydney Urbanek, who is an incredible writer who is working on a project right now for her newsletters that's chronicling the history of visual albums. So Sydney and I are talking about Jennifer Lopez's album, whether it's successful on various fronts, what it says about the current state of the visual album in terms of how pop stars are utilizing it. And then we use that as a jumping off point to go back in time and discuss the history of the visual album, which honestly goes on a lot longer than you might think. So we're tracing 60 plus years of visual albums in this episode, and it was such a fascinating conversation. Conversation. Sydney is doing tons of great work on this. So without further ado, here's my conversation about Jennifer Lopez, This Is Me Now, Beyonce, and the history of the visual album. All right, so I'm here with Sydney Urbanek, a Toronto-based culture writer, an editor, and author of the newsletter Mononym Mythology. Sydney, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so
0: much. I'm really excited for this conversation because the internet and my group chats have been a buzz with the latest in the pop star visual album Canon, which dropped last week. There's so much to say about this in general. I'm of course referring to Jennifer Lopez's This Is Me dot 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 now a Love Story, which mm-hmm. came out on Amazon last week, is accompanying her new album called This Is Me Now, which also came out last week. And so For this conversation, just to give everybody a little roadmap, Sydney and I are going to speak about This Is Me Now, a love story, but we're also going to mainly use that as kind of a jumping off point to talk about work that Sydney's currently doing that's going to be upcoming in her newsletter, where she's basically going deep and long about the visual album, Mm -hmm. the history of the visual album. So I want to spend some time talking about This Is Me Now, a love story, because there's a lot I want to unpack about that but I really want to discuss with you how this visual album opens up a broader discussion about like where we are with visual albums now and like how we've landed in this place where Jennifer Lopez feels that this is the right move for her to make in her career so let's start there this visual album came out as i said last week what do you make of this i guess first like as just a piece of art and like why do you think jennifer lopez turned to the visual album in particular at this moment in her career
1: Uh, so i should ask you first do you already know that there's like a doc coming yes the three-parter the three the third part of this three-parter so yes in general like what an interesting project. I love when something comes out in like January or February, that's automatically going to be one of the most interesting things that a pop star does all year long. On a first watch, I found aspects of the whole thing slightly baffling, just in terms of like commitment to this world, this concept. But it was because of that same commitment that the whole thing worked for me. Mm. I mean, I tend to love things that play up artists' stories and like what we think we know about them. And I can't figure out if this is the the least self-aware woman in the world or the most self-aware <laughs> woman in the world. Um, but you know, yeah, that, I- Yeah, that tracks. It landed as like kind of balls out for me in a way that was endearing. Mm. But I mean, my taste leans sort of loud and weird. So I don't know what that says, mm. but it really depends on like the artist. It depends on the historical moment. This format tends to work really well for when someone's gonna kind of like do their big one like their mm. whatever their personal emotional big artistic statement that they're looking to make that they're hoping changes their career they will often turn to this format at least historically that's been true and it's especially been true it's sort of in like the post lemonade era of visual mm. albums that's definitely mm. been true
0: mm. and is that because creating a visual world in and of itself Indicates importance like it takes something that would only exist in one medium maybe in this instance you know music album single a series of songs and gives it another sense that we can absorb it with it gives it another like way for us to interact with the art like it makes the art feel more fleshed out like what is it about a visual album that lends itself to the idea of like this is the statement or this is the big moment in my career like why is it a useful format in that moment So
1: I think in a landscape where everyone is already making music videos by default, that's history at this point, there is a way that you can maybe communicate. I don't think this is true for everyone. I just think that there's, generally speaking, a way that you can communicate that your work is maybe more serious, more cinematic, more worth taking Mm. seriously in making a film. And I mean, that's kind of the bane of my existence because I am like a film studies scholar Cares a lot about the pop music world, but there's a way that we do culturally. Like, you know, you and I both love pop, but, you know, culturally, we tend to rank different mediums in terms of like artistic. Seriousness, artistic importance, and mm. music videos because they're so connected to the industry and the idea of being like an ad for something else, cinephiles don't necessarily care. So I think that's why, you know, Michael Jackson was famously like, I don't make music videos, I make short films, and why mm. Beyonce's like, you know, this is a visual album to communicate to you how much I'm an album artist and it draws from film history and I've collaborated with respected names in the film world and so on. I think we saw that play a little bit into like the de facto Oscar campaign for the All Too Well short film where Mm. it's just like a tiny branding tweak that it's a short film and not a music video, even though like essentially it's a music video. But even though, you know, Taylor Swift is one of the most important visual artists of her generation, just by default of being one of the big. Mm. pop stars on the planet. But, you know, even then, despite the campaign and the language she used, film people have overall reacted pretty negatively to her, like the prospect of her being welcomed into cinephile spaces Mm. welcomed by Mm. the Oscars in any way, shape, or form.
0: And she's about to make a movie, right? She's like, she's gearing up to direct a film, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: and it will be really interesting to see if that ends up being tied to a studio album. Like, we don't know anything about that yet. And it will be, I don't, I'm not necessarily expecting a musical, but I think it would be strange, perhaps, for her to Mm. kind of like do the Madonna route and not have music. If she, okay, if Taylor Swift has an album she can sell you, she'll do it. So I think there will be a sales, an album sales component, Mm. and then, you know, she can start Mm. trying to break records with like soundtrack sales and we'll Mm -hmm. see, we'll see how that pans out. I think we should be expecting like, you know, not necessarily a visual album, but a full-length Tied to a studio album kind of project for mm. sure.
0: So okay, returning to J Lo for a second, I think it's really interesting the way you're framing the usefulness of these visual albums as a way to convey Gravitas as a pop star. Mm-hmm. Because that's, I think, a really important function in J Lo's mind in this way. So you also mentioned that she's putting out this documentary that is gonna follow this film. She recently also put out a documentary surrounding her Super Bowl performance. And one of the things that was very interesting to me walking away from that documentary was the generalized sense that Jennifer puts across in that film of feeling under-celebrated as an artist. I mean, I think it's very interesting because she's obviously one of the most famous people on the planet and has been since, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. And she's really maintained that celebrity. Like, as a celebrity, I think Jennifer Lopez is seen as as A-listy as you can possibly be. And yet, it feels that to a degree in her film career, because that movie also centered around, that documentary centered around her campaign to get nominated for an Oscar for Hustler, And then failing to and in a really compelling moment in that she sort of has a breakdown on camera and just sort of says how much it would have meant to her Mm -hmm. to get that Oscar because I think in her mind because she is the ultimate like celebrity qua celebrity I think she feels that people don't necessarily view her as an artist like they don't value her as an artist in that way and I think that applies even more so to her pop career where it's been really interesting I think narratively over the last I think mostly like few years really but like it seems that there is kind of calcified in the pop music consuming body politic this idea that Jennifer Lopez is like an unworthy pop artist or was an unworthy pop artist even though she's somebody that had a large amount of hits over a very long period of time and a lot of the knocks that get leveled at her are things that get leveled at plenty of people, you know, namely that she can't sing seems to be like a big part of it. But, you know, there's been plenty of pop stars with middling voices or with serviceable voices that don't Mm -hmm. receive the same level of, it It seems, sort of critique that Jennifer does. Yeah. So I do think there is this calcified narrative around her right now that like, especially as a pop figure, that she was not worthy. And of course, there's also a lot of rumors that have gone around as a result of a Twitter thread that like her vocals are not her own, Mm -hmm. that like other people recorded, whatever. So there's all of that narrative that's gone down. I think also weirdly the conflict with Mariah Carey has like not served her particularly well. Weirdly, so anyway, I'm just laying that out to say that all of that together kind of helps me understand what's going on with This Is Me Now more because what's the most fascinating kind of ground layer for this to me is that when and as we're gonna cover this in a second, but when Beyoncé essentially revolutionized this format with Lemonade, but first with her 2013 you know collection of music videos. and the visual album as it's largely known at the time. You know, that was a moment where she was arriving to like a lot of anticipation. She hadn't had a record out in a couple of years. She was still a massive pop star like, you know, largely at the peak of her career for all intents and purposes, you know, still super A-list and pretty respected as a pop star going into that moment and of course only became more so as a result of it. That is not where we're at with Jennifer Lopez and I think that's what's so interesting about this is like the way that it's gesturing at this sort of like grand statement but at a moment where it feels like nobody wants that or like nobody really seems to care about Jennifer Lopez in that particular way so like before we even like break down the content of this film I think you're sort of laying out that that is what artists intentions are with these projects are to sort of create import around their work in a way that it wouldn't necessarily have rings extra true to me for someone like JLo who like more so than Beyonce in 2013 seems really like she needs in just like a personal way to be like taken seriously that to cement her legacy as like an artist that is serious. And that seems to me to be the, the primary engine behind like why she's doing this because it's hard to understand in a commercial sense. And it's funny because throughout the press campaign, she's talked about how a lot of people have been like, why are you doing this? And mm-hmm. she's self-financed it and all this stuff. So I just want to say, like, I think that that's a very important point. Do you think this has been successful in rendering her that way. Having now absorbed this film, having now absorbed it as a reflection or an expansion of the musical world of this album, is this a successful endeavor in terms of that ambition, I guess, do you think?
1: Well, I mean, there's quite a few things that, like, remain to be seen. It's very telling, though, like, regardless of how this lands, it's so telling that she's got, like, a tour coming up. Again, she's kind of, like, doing her big one here. Like, she thinks, regardless of what we think, she Thinks this is going to be a game changing project for her. And I would say, like, this project has been a success a couple ways by default. I have no idea how people will look back at it going forward, but it's worth noting that, you know, when the teasers first came out, the tone on my timeline was overwhelmingly, like, mocking. This is me. I haven't been sleeping well lately. I guess I never have.
0: This is
1: me. When I was little, I used to share a room with my sister. She used to sleep so peacefully. This is me. And I just used to lie there awake thinking, how does anybody sleep that way when
0: your heart never goes to sleep? I know. You feel like nobody gets you.
1: I don't even get me. But the critical reception so far to the film, I'm not sure yet about the album as a standalone thing, but the critical response to the film has been overwhelmingly very positive. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of surprise, but there's something about the like, just sort of earnestness of this project that really kind of gets you. Yes. Either way, it's been a very meaningful project for her, which is a kind of success we don't tend to talk about maybe enough in like pop music discussions. Like no matter what we Mm. think, she seems to be celebrating the culmination of this years-long streak of being kind of recelebrated again pop culturally and then you know to me to have a visual album project be talked about all over my timeline that isn't from Beyonce is very mm. interesting and it doesn't happen that mm. often so it's always really interesting mm. to see who can pull it off?
0: Well, I do want to talk about our own personal feelings about the visual album, too, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's true, and I think that the idea of success, of course, I was referring to it by default, as we often do by, like, you know, commercial metrics, whatever, all of the ways that we tend to assess pop music because the word popular is literally in the title, and I think that is kind of, it begs to be viewed that way in some ways as opposed to, like, a personal triumph, and then, of course, on artistic terms, like, is it achieving what she thinks it's achieving? And I think I should probably pause here and say the premise of this is, of course, like a lot of visual albums in the post-Beyonce era, the concept of the film is playing on a celebrity narrative. The concept of the film is playing on this rekindling of her very public relationship with Ben Affleck, which was the subject of the album's predecessor, which is This Is Me Then, (laughs) which came out in the early 2000s, I think in 2002. And so, of course, she very publicly has gotten back together with Ben, and that has been something that people are really fascinated in. Again, maybe infinitely more fascinating in that tabloid narrative than they are in like new music from Jennifer Lopez. And I think that's another important part of this. Like if Jennifer Lopez had dropped a standalone album at this point, I think it's pretty fair to say it probably would have been hard pressed to make the same level of at least like conversational impact that, it's, that the visual album is having, this audacious visual album is having. So the film, poetically, I guess it would be a kind way of putting it, sort of chronicles her ongoing sort of obsession with love, her passion for love, her addiction to love. It's sort of esoteric It's not a film in the sense that like it tells a narrative linear story necessarily. It's kind of impressionistic. It moves from like sci-fi to the real world. It's a little bit hard to know at certain points like what is even exactly happening Mm -hmm. in it. It has like a very sort of I think maybe purposely fake looking CGI across a lot of it. But it's a grand statement I think on like the thesis of her whole career being like a pursuit of love or finding love or understanding love. That seems to be what she's trying to tell us her entire sort of like celebrity endeavor has ultimately been about. I don't know if that's a message that I necessarily would have walked away from Jennifer Lopez's career without her sort of stating that outright as this film does. So I do think it's legacy building in that sense for her. When I was a little girl,
1: when someone asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, my answer was always in love.
0: The question, I guess, remains for me, as you brought up earlier, with this particular project, to me, the hubris and ambition of the whole thing is the most interesting part. Like, the extra project part of this project is what intrigues me the most. Like, the idea that she went out and did this on her own dime when everybody was telling her not to and where, frankly, it doesn't seem like it makes so much sense for her to do that she went out and did it and that this is kind of like the purest most unfettered version of her artistry i.e. like she made this herself so like this is a very like unfiltered view into like how Jennifer Lopez like sees herself and like how she wants to be represented to us is the most interesting part but I don't know if it's landing in the same way that she like feels like it's landing because my honest impression of them film and I you know you were saying that you were you're endeared by the sort of earnestness of it which I am too but I don't think this was like a successful endeavor like artistically speaking like the dialogue is like really poorly written there's a lot of like bad acting in it not necessarily by her but by a lot of other people I don't totally follow what's happening you know some of the audacity of it I do find like weirdly thrilling I guess but also like I found it kind of ugly to look at and then I think the music is not great so I think that like in all of the ways and I guess. We'll circle back to this in a second, but in all the ways that Beyonce kind of is the agenda setter for this format and like succeeds on a lot of those other fronts, I think that this film fails in some of the things it tr- thinks it's doing, but is interesting in ways that I'm not even sure were the ways that it was intended to be, i.e. just as a sheer exercise in artistic hubris and a look at what Jennifer Lopez like thinks her art should be with no guiding hand above her own, I guess, if that makes sense.
1: Totally. And it's very fair. Like Musically, I'm not sure how amazing this album is across the board. I have been singing a couple songs this morning, but that's a different thing. Yes. Um, It's very cohesive. The ordering, though, of the track list is different on the album versus the film. And that's sometimes one of like the biggest indicators of like something that she would confirm for me in the interviews with her that I read, which is Mm. this was a finished album before it was adapted into this film project. And I think the film is kind of the savior here because it enriches slash explains the music and why it sounds the way it does, why it's about what it's about. Is the album like on its own listenable? serviceable, as you said, in the same way that like Lemonade is? No. But, you know, she is fascinating to me in part because as she explains definitely in Halftime and probably other places, she grew up being obsessed with like West Side Story and Singing in the Rain, wanting to be sort of musical theater star, seeing herself as existing in the lineage of like a Rita Moreno. And then she grew up performing in productions like that. And then in terms of the actual progression of her career as a celebrity, she's sort of constructed that in a Mm. lot of ways. Like the acting has often been separate from the music. And the music has even often been separate from the dancing. So I think despite the album here not being wall to wall outstanding, (laughs) she has done herself she has done herself a huge favor in tapping into like a couple of her better skills. Because at the end of the day, the pillar of her work that's always been the most well received, where I think she's like the most undeniably talented has always been the acting. Like she is a compelling screen presence.
0: X factor, general star, like just star wattage. Totally.
1: And like her wiki page Mm -hmm. would suggest that like with the exception of this album, she's pivoting pretty hardcore back into acting and producing movies. I'm very interested by this idea that like when there's something you're hoping to have happen in your career as a pop star doesn't, you kind of go off and just like figure it out yourself. So if she's hoping that she gets handed her like Anita in West Side Story role and it never shows up, Mm. why not go off and make your own musical, the same way that, yes. you know, Beyonce really badly wanted to win an Oscar, wanted to be a movie star, and then was not the best reviewed actress. So what she's done instead is become one of the most important filmmakers of 21st century mm. pop culture, but by making her own movies that are sort of like genre fucked, you know, yes, like they're right. really hard to explain. They're really hard to award if you're the Grammys or mm-hmm. the Emmys, but you can give them Peabody's because they're clearly like culture shifting, but they're very hard to talk right. about. But she, had so much success carving out her own kind of pathway where she can make the cinematic impact she's always been hoping to. And so there is an element, I think, of that happening here where J-Lo is like, no one will let me be a musical theater performer. Let's just make my own like bonkers movie directed by (laughs) Dave Myers, who's the only director in the world that would have it looking like this in the end.
0: It's so interesting though because I think part of what has seemed to define the visual album in the post Beyonce era is is that cultural import? Like, I think that part of, like, why this all feels so almost, like, silly and ridiculous on some level with JLo is that everything Beyoncé does, and of course, like, Lemonade is the pinnacle of this, but even the visual album prior to that and Black is King and all of Beyoncé's visual projects are laden with purposefully, and and just because Beyonce has made herself this person in the world, are laden with cultural meaning, with interrogation, with unpacking our society, of unpacking her identity in ways that are really kind of, like, mind-bending. Like, ways that really, like, make you rethink the music itself. Like, I remember thinking one of the crazy sort of dichotomies here is that, like, of course, Beyonce's music on its own is more interesting, more layered, better, I mean, in, in every possible way than the equivalent J-Lo music on this particular album, let's say, but I think you can probably have that run through both of their careers. Yeah. But like, Beyonce's visual albums have always felt like they have been expansive and necessary components to like build out like these larger stories she's telling about her identity, how her identity is tied to the story of the world, of American society, of what all, whatever she's trying to, of blackness, whatever she's trying to get at in her particular project, right? Whereas like this, Yes. <laughs> feels the opposite of that it feels frivolous and it feels a little bit empty and it feels like really narcissistic you know I think Beyonce's always done a really good job in the visual albums era of like making her concerns feel as though they are tapping into the broader zeitgeist of who we are as people of our cultural discourse yeah
1: like they're our concerns too yes
0: they've they've felt like the reason for existing exists beyond Beyonce's own hubris and I think that like the Jennifer lopez film does not achieve that this film feels entirely like you were saying it's a success because it's a success to her and i think that that's both like a lovely thought to have for her and also like says a lot about why this is not a success on another level because it's like it feels completely narcissistic in a way that is weirdly endearing and i get that part of it and it's there is an to the narcissism which is a weird thing to say but like it's meaningless it's it, it feels empty to me and, and it also feels like it's trying to telegraph something to me about her that I don't necessarily walk away feeling. I don't walk away with my heart broken or full about Jennifer Lopez's pursuit of love. I feel more just fascinated about that she views her own identity in life this way. That's like the thing that I that I see and I don't think that's what it was meaning to tell me, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of stuff to say about that. I was reading some reviews of this and my friend Coleman in his review for The Daily Beast wrote that like she's one of our foremost romantic maximalists, which I think is like Mm. a very spot on way of putting her whole vibe. Another thing to say is that Beyoncé's films tend to be films from the jump, like when she's conceptualizing an album. Right. You'll get lots right. of really interesting anecdotes about this from not really from her ever, but from people that have worked with her on different projects. Like on the self-titled album, she would go off and like spend the day shooting a video and then she would go back into the studio, take out a verse, make a song longer, make a song shorter. Like she was tweaking that album in tandem with the production of the videos. I think with visual albums, above all else, it matters like, A, do you have something to say, but B, do you have something to say that you feel like needs to be expressed visually? Because that's a different thing. And what's really interesting about Lemonade as an example is that the album, as we've said, stands on its own. Theoretically, you don't need the film. Mm -hmm. Without the film, it would still probably be one of her best albums, undeniably. But the film makes it into a totally different project because that's where the American history, for the most part, comes in. That's where mm-hmm. the reproductive horror stuff comes mm-hmm. in. It's where the like literal poetry is. You don't get that stuff on the album. You remind me of my father, a magician. Able to exist in two places at once. In the tradition of men and my blood, you come home
0: at 3 a.m. and lie to me. What are you hiding? The past
1: and the future merge to meet us here. What luck! what a fucking curse. So the film doesn't come off as like bonus content right, <laughs> or just like a right. gift for the fans. Yes. Hey, I also made this because we had the money and it takes lots of money to make something like this. It comes off as the project. So when people talk about Lemonade, when, when scholars design syllabi around Lemonade, they tend to talk about things that you're not getting just from the album and listening to the album.
0: For sure. I would even argue, go further and say, I don't think Lemonade works as well as an album as it does as an entire project like I think that without the visual the album is much less of a landmark in my particular opinion I think that one of the things that I find awe inspiring about Lemonade is exactly what you're saying which is that like you can't really have one without the other and to me the film is that project and the album is like a tangential part it's like it's like a part of it but it's not the central part of it it's the film is the central part of it and the album on its own it would not be understood as its under understood now in any capacity, as you were sort of saying, without the film attached to it. So in that way, I do think it's the gold standard, because I think that's why you should make a visual album. It's like when that's the role that it's probably playing in it. And I think far too often in recent non-Beyonce visual albums, it doesn't feel that way. It feels more like what you were saying, which is like, we had the money, let's do it. And I think that, you know, when I think about whether it's this Jennifer Lopez movie, or it's the Casey Musgraves visual album that came out a few years ago, they often feel much... More like a vanity thing than they do, like, they're truly adding to the meaning of the music on its own, I guess.
1: And what's really fascinating about that is that historically, Beyonce has a way of forcing you to like experience the album for the first time visually. So when you say, you know, I don't know if Lemonade, the album stands on its own quite the same way. I think that's so fascinating because I wouldn't know. Like when I experienced it, I was watching it. Um, But there was this really interesting, I've been obviously reading a lot about this format and there's this really interesting piece that came out in Pitchfork by Judy Berman on this exact topic. which is when you experience an album for the first time visually, the artist has already filled in all of the gaps for you. Like, this is what you're supposed to be picturing when you hear it. This is what Mm. I meant when I sung it. Mm. And that's, of course, the big like deviation with Renaissance is that she's basically like, no, please project everything you'd like on the album in the meantime. And then there will be something that comes later. But so she has a way in her career. And this was like a pre-Beyonce thing that she's always tried to do when she could was make sure that the video premieres the same day as the single. Or make sure that mm. if I'm buying her self-titled album, it comes with all the videos. And of course, I may as well just watch them before I listen to right. the, the songs by themselves. And so it allows for less projection from somebody listening mm. to the project. And it also means that if you have a narrative that you're really hoping to like get down in terms of myth making, such a good way to do it. Like here is the story. Here is what you're supposed to be picturing. Here's the one scene in my film that confirms you should be picturing Jay-Z when I'm singing these lyrics, Mm. that sort of thing.
0: You know, what's so interesting as you're talking is that, you know, in some ways that kind of makes me rethink a little bit, you know, the success of the J-Lo thing, because I don't know if the film gets across what she wants it to get across, but I think the way that she's been able to go out and promote the film and discuss what her intentions were with the film have reframed the album as, just being like another kind of like poor to middling jennifer lopez album into like something where the narrative feels clearer at least whatever she's trying to sell us about this concept album about this rekindling of this romance does feel clearer to me so i guess in a way maybe the film itself hasn't achieved what she's hoping it did but the rollout of the film has given the album more of a narrative than maybe it would have as just a collection of post-peak jennifer lopez songs like i think that that's really true How good is this episode? It's good, right? Well, great news, because if you like what you're hearing here, you're going to love what we're doing over on our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access, where, for five bucks a month, you'll get bonus episodes of our show weekly. You heard that right, every single week, we're dropping more of the same searing in-depth combos you love about all your most anticipated new albums by stars like Ariana Grande, Dua Lipa, and Tate McRae, just to name a few, parsing apart all the newest pop singles in our famous new music speed rounds, and of course, course, diving deep on your favorite classic albums like Madonna's Hard Candy, Christina Aguilera's Stripped, and so much more, all with your favorite Pop Pantheon guests. All this, plus you'll get access to our Discord channel, input on future episodes of the show, and so much more. So sign up at the icon tier now at patreon.com slash poppantheon, or simply by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. You won't regret it obviously we largely associate the visual album with beyonce in the last 10 years or so since 2013 and you know in some ways it felt like her intentionally not creating visuals for her most recent album felt like another turn in the story of the visual album because she has been so much the progenitor of the form for the last you know decade plus let's rewind a little bit because the truth of the matter is while we do largely associate the visual album in the modern era with beyonce she didn't technically invent the format although she probably invented Invented the version of it that we sort of see it as now or, or calcified that. Can you take us back a little bit? What is the origin of the visual album in your mind? Like, what are some of the early examples, even if they're not in the same, like, calcified form that we think of it now? Like, wh- where does this medium or idea come from in your mind?
1: Yeah, so I'll start briefly in 2013, and then I'll jump back, because this was one of the big things I've had to put my finger on with my whole series is, like, yes, the big thing with Self-Titled was how big that project was culturally, how does disruptive it was to the industry, the fact that it happened to be good on top of all of that, but especially how she branded it. So it didn't matter that it was not the first visual album, actually. It didn't matter that it wasn't even really Beyonce's first full-length visual accompaniment, because in my head that's B-Day. What mattered was the the way it was presented and the way that she really foregrounded the term and the messaging, which meant that other people started to use it, which meant that it took off, which meant that she's continued to use it, which means other people in the industry use it. yeah so the visual album is a very old format much older than people normally acknowledge because we're not always using that term when we talk about it um and i should say like the term actually has roots as far back as the 60s artists start to use it about their own visual album type projects in the 80s and when she releases beyonce and calls it a visual album animal collective has released a project that they called a visual album in quotes a couple years prior to that but Mm. you know the way that stan culture and people interested in pop music works we're not always the most like historically minded that's not why as a teenager you get into idol worship right like that's not it's not their priority is to like make sure sure historians everything checks out so okay all of which to say assume i'm giving you the like most bare bones version of this story but i'm still going to throw a lot of info at you so as soon as there's recorded sound in movies pop musicians start making them that's in the late 20s by the time you get to the end of the 50s you've had frank sinatra win an Oscar, you've had Bing Crosby win an Oscar, like the two industries are tied Mm -hmm. together. Elvis starts to churn out movie after movie after movie they always have an accompanying soundtrack album or EP and there's more generally this big movement to capitalize on rock and roll, get teenagers buying movie tickets to come see their faves on the big screen. In the 60s, a few really important things happen and one of them is that the Beatles show up and they Mm -hmm. start making movies like A Hard Day's Night, Help, Yellow Submarine and these are all movies that are attached to studio albums by the Beatles. We all live in the
0: yellow submarine.
1: The yellow submarine.
0: Yellow submarine.
1: The forces of good. The, the Beatles. Submarine.
0: The boob. I must complete my bust. Two novels, finish my blueprints, begin my begin. Hey, Jeremy, must you always talk in rhyme? <laughs> if I spoke prose, you'd all find out. I don't know what I talk about.
1: Another is that the Beatles actually become filmmakers. So they are not just film stars. They go off and they make Magical Mystery Tour, which is a TV special, very much like the visual albums that we talk about now. So there's this Mm -hmm. agency thing, like the Beatles are actually directing this project. The visual authorship goes hand in hand with the musical authorship. They're Mm -hmm. using movies as a way to like telegraph power and autonomy as artists. And then after they break up, John Lennon and Yoko Ono make a number of films. And that includes Imagine, which is a another like visual album very much like the ones that we talk about today and then from there the format evolves in a ton of different directions based on technology based on who's making what who's inspiring who to do what tons of narrative films still being made that are kind of like a hard day's night or that are an album coexisting with a narrative film like you can draw a line from a hard day's night to like spice world and glitter and idle wild right that kind of movie right. has always been made where it's not just a soundtrack album it's like this is one of the the artist's actual studio albums
0: Hold on, you knickers, girl! That's more like it. this january would you like an order no but i love one of these pie things make your choice oh, i like the blonde one no 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 sporty rock your world Help! and spice up your life with the Spice Girls.
1: But then there are also like parallel to that all these television specials that don't have any dialogue. Like they're essentially strings of music videos that you start to get a lot of in the 70s. So like Serge Gainsbourg, Alice Cooper, Blondie. And by the end of the 70s, making a full length visual accompaniment to an album is a very established thing. It's just not called anything like there's no uniform term that people are using. So that all happens. Everything I've just said happens before MTV TV. Right. And then the whole industry is like, hey, we can still keep making these projects. We just now have a place that we can advertise a three-minute chunk of them. So Mm. there are still artists that are like putting stuff in theaters, but there's also this huge home video boom. So then you get like Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees make a visual album. And he actually says, I wanted to make a visual album. He uses the term, the actual term. By the end of the 90s, you've had like tons of big names contribute to the list. Elton John, Olivia Newton John makes multiple, Michael, but also Janet Jackson get into it. Pink Floyd, Grace Jones, Eurythmics, if you want to factor in Annie Lennox as a solo artist even more, Kate Bush, even Jay-Z strings together a bunch of music videos in the late 90s, okay? That's a mm. really important point that never really comes up when people talk about Beyonce in the format. And it's not always like a whole album in there. But it's enough to consider the project worth adding to the list.
0: So like more than a single song music video, essentially, is like how we're calling Yeah,
1: like I, I hate to attach any kind of like minimum to it. But if you want to think like three or more, like those are all artists right. that have tried to do like a long form thing. I haven't even... And mentioned Prince, who made multiple movies in the 80s and 90s attached to studio albums. And like Purple Rain is obviously the big blockbuster one, but he also makes Under the Cherry Moon, he makes Graffiti Bridge, he makes Three Chains of Gold. And then pieces of those projects might play on MTV. The internet like every industry on the planet hit the music industry in a really interesting way so there are so many 21st century visual albums that it's hard to like summarize them quite so succinctly beyonce's the big name Mm -hmm. she's the sort of figurehead of the format period but you know some of the notable ones that led up to her were like bjork and usher and i really hate to say it but r kelly making trapped in the closet like that is a piece Mm -hmm. in the puzzle And when self-titled dropped in 2013, the previous couple of years had had some shorter form ones that like tend to get left out of this story too, like Runaway and Electra Heart by Marina and the Diamonds and Tropico. And yeah, the post-Beyonce landscape has very much been impacted by her. It's just that there was a lot that happened before she was even born.
0: Right. So in your mind, when you were mentioning earlier that some of these 60s, 70s, you know, as far back as the middle of the century, visual albums, quote unquote, would be recognizable to us in terms of what we think of as a visual album now. What does that mean exactly to you? Like, what separates a visual album as we think about it, I guess, in the post-Beyonce sense of the word from A Spice World, for instance, like a film that is more like a narrative movie that's more recognizable to us as a film that also includes musical performances. I think Purple Rain maybe treads the line in some ways, but also probably works more as a traditional narrative film. Like what separates that type of film with music soundtrack from what we might recognize as like the post Lemonade Beyonce style visual album but also obviously that existed as you're mentioning throughout time.
1: I mean one thing that she's tended to do over and over again is get like a whole album in there. It's one interesting thing that like removes some like prior Mm. examples from the picture but also the fact that like I mean we don't usually talk about the album Beyonce this way but the pieces are actually connected to each other. You don't have to play them front to back for it to make sense but there are little like connect between them whether it's like the trophy motif or the fact that like the partition video becomes the jealous video in terms of like the final shot of one becoming the first shot of the next so that's another thing you know when blondie made eat to the beat back in the late 70s they had a visual like performance clip for every song. That's not necessarily as culturally important, groundbreaking as lemonade. But you did have more narratively like strung together. It's it's kind of like a it sounds really lazy and clumsy to put it like this, but it's like a music video-ness. Like as opposed to something being like Fred Astaire performing a scene from a movie, it's like there's a a different kind of logic to the way something's edited. The way that even like there there is precedent though in some of the Beatles films where like the Beatles are not lip syncing to the music that's being played. They're goofing around. There's no real world logic to the scene. The musicalness of it is not trying to be integrated into like a plot line. But you Mm -hmm. do have things like melody, which is like a half hour short I want to say that Serge Gainsbourg makes in the early 70s and that's very much like a visual album as we would understand it and I believe that like the majority of that album if not the whole thing is in there.
0: You brought up earlier the sort of like genre agnosticism of the whole thing like whereas like a film like Purple Rain or a film like Spice World you can sort of like understand these as movies Mm -hmm. that make sense as traditional movies there's a sense and maybe it is this music video-ness maybe it is this sort of lack of imperative to create like a traditional narrative structure as we understand it in a film sense or at least in like a commercial film sense my sense especially like if Lemonade being the gold standard is like is there a story there? Yes but it's told very esoterically very poetically it's not like here are characters living out a storyline this Mm -hmm. is like you know it's more of a feeling narrative arc It's, it's conveying an idea a story but it's told much more impressionistically than we might expect from commercial film. So that feels important. And that definitely carries over, I think, all the way through This Is Me Now. It's, you know, telling you a story, but it's definitely not doing it in the way that we're used to seeing film structures do it, at least like if you're not, you know, involved in like arthouse cinema or whatever. So I think that feels really important to it. And then I think your point about how like the music feels central, but it's not necessarily like done either are in like the way where you're like you're you have to insert the performance of the song into it like you know as if it was Chicago the movie or whatever or if it was an actual musical film so you're not trying to find an excuse for the characters to be singing although like like, like, Purple Rain does that like Purple Rain has a lot of devices in it which like Prince is essentially playing a musician so a lot of the times the songs are like performed on stage and that's how we hear them but not always but sometimes but I feel like in albums like Lemonade like there can be instances like for instance like in the hold up portion of Lemonade where Beyonce is I think lip syncing the song through it but then there's other portions of it like where she's not really doing that. it jumps so it's around kind of like yeah right so there's an imperative like where the music is central at all times but you don't have to interact exactly with it like a music video would like where it's like there's this expectation that you're essentially going to lip sync through the entire thing so i wonder if like those are part of it and then in these pre-lemonade ones like would you agree that there's kind of like an impressionistic narrative is a visual album like does it need that kind of like does that give it a reason to exist like that kind of impressionistic narrative that we see even in the visual the first visual beyonce album or in lemonade or in this is me now is that something that predates beyonce like, or are some of these just totally random, like, in your mind? Like, is that, a, is that a prerequisite?
1: Well, it's funny because I pay a lot of attention to how stands try and, like, put forward Beyoncé as the originator of the format. Yeah. I should also say, right. one of the reasons this is such a complicated conversation is because Beyoncé has actually claimed herself as the originator of the format, she did that most recently with the renaissance press release that was confirming that visuals were coming out at a later date so like it's hard like listen i love her i don't want to argue with her but i it's kind of my job too so right but it's that's one of the things that like again like the way an artist speaks about their own work will take hold you know whether that's all too well the short film or i invented the visual album and i'm like well you dress up for halloween as janet jackson in rhythm nation so like how does that work what is the Mm. i want to know if if I, if Beyonce mm. were being asked questions more I could ask her this I actually don't want to speak yes. to her that's terrifying but um one of the things that stands, will say, sometimes when they're like throwing out like what makes a real visual album a visual album is stuff like, oh, there's you the the scenes are usually connected by like narration or they're connected by poetry or something else that makes the scenes not just like tied together loosely. And in my head I'm like, well, Tropicó had poetic right. narration. I'm pretty sure she reads sure. Howl by Allen Ginsberg out yes. in that film. I saw. So- minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn, looking for an angry fix. So I try not to like write in stone, and I do this in my project. Like I don't ever want to set in stone what I think. Like how, like the percentage of the album that needs to be in there, and like the different components they have to include in order to qualify. Because I feel like Rhythm Nation. 1814 has only three songs in the film. But I'm not going to like discard that because it's a huge long form video that comes out while Beyonce's a kid. That's part of this history. Like it's part of what leads up to her own Mm. work.
0: And obviously Janet, generally speaking, is incredibly instructive to Beyonce. Totally.
1: Yeah. And Michael, so like, again, like he, the two big films that I have in my project are Moonwalker and Ghosts, which are both like long form video things he makes for different albums.
0: he comes from a place beyond the stars to take them to a world beyond their dreams
1: they're very different from each other like he wasn't trying to put down some kind of like rigid format for the visual album he he wasn't calling it that to begin with but you know it's sometimes more useful to look at them by like who's making the the projects as opposed to what they are because we know that Beyonce has based a lot of her own work on some of these forerunners if you will so that's more interesting to me than like what the projects actually were and how many the percentage of the songs on the album that they included and whether there was poetry or no poetry like that doesn't
0: matter. I guess I'm just trying to get at what separates a visual album from a longer form just a long form single song music video maybe or from a traditional like you know and maybe it's not even possible to delineate these things. But it does feel like there is a feeling when something is a visual album versus one of these other things. And, you know, I guess in trying to kind of extrapolate this from the sort of just like 2013 on version of visual albumness that we've come to, I'm just I'm trying to get my head around what are the building blocks? And I think you've done a really good job of laying that out for us. And, you know, I think it's probably something that is malleable, which is kind of the point of it. It's not necessarily beholden to the same like standardized structures because it feels like it's a form format that is open to interpretation and is you know in some ways less demands are put on it because it doesn't exist within certain institutions like it's not needing to exist in the format of MTV where it's like you need a clip that's a specific amount of time that does xyz things that can play on TRL Mm -hmm. and it's not a traditional film that needs to play in a theater and get considered for awards and you know has to be classified in a genre film and like blah 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 it's a bit of a renegade space which is I think what you were getting at earlier where it's like maybe because it's being made by people that aren't traditionally working as you mentioned in the film Medium, there's sort of like a sense of outlawness to it. Like they're sort of venturing into a visual medium that isn't technically like where they belong (laughs) per se. And so, in some ways, that gives them carte blanche to like remake. It's it's its own thing. It's like it's it's its own style of art that is like not necessarily contained by music or film or what or TV or whatever. Like it's it's kind of its own separate entity in a way.
1: And I think it's the idea of like the project. I try to defer to like how artists talk about these things themselves. But, you know, I think it's the idea of a a film or a visual project of some kind meaning to stand in as like a body of work meant to represent the album. Like artists are very clear when they think something is like, you know, boy genius made the film. And that's very much like the album's film. It's just it's only 15 minutes long, but it's still the body of work they put forward and said, like, this is the film for our album. And there have been lots of those like, you know, there was a pink print film that came out Mm. shortly after the Beyonce project and the pink print album had songs like anaconda on it that are not part of the pink print film but this was the pink print film over here it's really tricky like you have to make a lot of judgments that i don't necessarily want to make and so i try to just like Mm -hmm. bring everything into the fold an example i've been using in my head to kind of like make that distinction when joanne came out lady gaga's joanne she made like a trilogy of music videos that were clearly connected but she Mm -hmm. never said like this is my joanne trilogy this is like these are this is my visual state meant to represent Joanne. She just made three music videos that happened to be connected to each other. But when she made art pop, she made GUI, which was also in, in parentheses, like an art pop film. And that film, right is only like 13, 14 minutes, but it's got four songs from the album on it. That's more what I'm talking about than like trying to retroactively Mm. be like, oh, you know, Aerosmith has this famous trilogy or Guns N' Roses has this famous trilogy. Let's call it a visual album in hindsight. I don't think that's necessarily like false or the wrong move. It's just that it's more interesting to me when someone's like, here, I made this 15 minute film for my 60 minute album. That's the film.
0: right? totally that makes sense in looking at this you know as you have the sort of broadness the the amount of things that can be contained under this are there certain like types of artists or certain brands of pop stars in particular as it pertains to this podcast that this format has served better or worse in your mind like are there specific artists and for whatever reason whether it's because of what they're saying or how they say it or how they perform or what their brand is or what they look like or whatever it is in which this format is better suited as you've sort of looked at this entire milieu so
1: I think generally concept albums and rock operas very conducive to having a visual counterpart because they're kind of already like stories or they're already like begging to be made visual and that's true even if you wanted to look at like Tommy back in 75 where Tina Turner Mm. is like the scene-stealing acid queen. I I wouldn't say I see anything in terms of genre like it's pretty genre agnostic like in terms of music genre pop obviously there's a lot of pop but there's also a lot of rock, there's a lot of hip-hop, R&B. Anecdotally there isn't a ton of rap or like not not yet there isn't a ton mm-hmm. of rap, not a ton of country mm-hmm. yet, but that mm-hmm. seems to be changing. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, a Kelsey ballerini one. There's a Sergio mm-hmm. Simpson one.
0: The Casey one, although that was not yes. a super country Casey album. Yet. Yeah. And
1: she's a good example of what I'll say next, which is like to come back again, I'm not trying to like equate the JLo project and Lemonade. But Mm -hmm. to come back to the idea of there being like some big personal, artistic, emotional statement you want to make. We've seen in the post-Lemonade years a few projects that artists have come out with where they've taken their own equivalent statements and made films for them. So Casey's is one of them where it's like, here is my Mm -hmm. divorce project. Halsey made one within two weeks of the Casey one. If I can't have love. I want power. And that was like an excellent Mm. project that kind of flew under the radar because I have to say like probably algorithms and the way Mm. that we can't all be Beyonce, right? In terms of just the cultural foothold. But Dirty Computer is another one where it's like, here's my big culmination of my whole career of sort of sci-fi android afrofuturism references and then you know i didn't like this one as much but like circus maximus the travis scott one that came out last year like technically that's his own equivalent moment it's not that the moment like Mm. means what lemonade did but that technically was him trying to be like okay this I don't know if you saw that one, but it's kind of bizarre where like Rick Rubin cameos in it as like a therapist. And he's like, I hear there was a tragedy. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about the kind of like the disaster in these really abstract terms. Again, like I think it comes back to some extent to the idea that you can kind of like get in before music critics on like what you think this album
0: means. Right. It's like a control mechanism to the narrative.
1: Yeah. And like, there's a narrative being brought to it at all. Like you got into this a bit earlier, but like when you're waiting for somebody to say something, Mm, when you're waiting for an artist to address something. And the thing with Beyonce is she's released a number of visual albums at this point and they're not all equally well reviewed but the ones that Mm. have been the best reviewed are ones like beyonce where it's like oh here's your big post motherhood statement or the ones like lemonade where it's like here's me trying to in my own vague nebulous way explain some of the weird tabloidy stuff you've been seeing in the last couple of years but you know black is king yeah, <laughs> Black is King, not necessarily quite as like universally well received because it was not the same kind of project. It was you know, it was different. Right. It was a it was her Disney moment. It was her family friendly moment, and that didn't go over quite the same.
0: Also, not released in tandem with the album, there was a lot of like rollout things that were really interesting about that. Like that's true. That, that with the Black is King album, we had had that album for a year, and then we got the film, and the album itself hadn't it made like the impact that a normal because it wasn't a technically a Beyonce studio album there was a strangeness to that rollout that i think undermined our ability to like absorb that visual album in the same way that we had absorbed the prior two.
1: and that one actually contradicts something i said earlier because that one unlike a lot of these projects of hers we've been talking about was not originally supposed to be a film that was Mm -hmm. like according to people that worked on that Like, she made a video and then she was like, kind of want to make another one. And then suddenly she was like, I think there's a film here. They mm. sort of laid in the game, brought someone on to storyboard it and turned it into more of like a narrative. And there's funny, like, manifestations of that. Like, the some of the main characters in Black is King are played by people who had been dancers in spirit. So they were called back. Oh, they were like, oh, you're already like, we already know you can not break your NDA. Like, come on back and right. play right. the blue man or play play Simba or, you know, it's really interesting. Yeah. So it came, the the narrative of it all like came together late in the game. And I think you can kind of Mm. feel that, like I really enjoy that film, but it's, you can feel that it's offloading some of the legwork onto the like poetic kind of license. Mm.
0: For sure. I agree about that. Two things I just wanted to bring up just as we kind of wind this down. One thing that I've been thinking about just in like sort of the modern usefulness of this Mm -hmm. is one, I think we live as emblematic in Taylor Swift's current complete monocultural devouring that's going (laughs) on at the moment, we're very obsessed with pop stars as auteurs and the ideas of eras. Eras are very important. And I think that that's working in tandem with another concept, which is that music videos, traditional music videos seem kind of less important or like they have less of a place than they ever have before. It just feels like it's very, very hard for an individual music video to make an impact. I think there's probably many reasons for this, but I think obviously the death of MTV is one of them. I think for whatever reason, we have less music videos making a huge impact and people are investing less money in music videos, etc. So in some ways, I think the modern visual album solves for a couple of those problems, which is that it allows for like era definition it allows kind of like not to create a series of disconnected music videos but instead to kind of say like I'm going to calcify this era this idea of like this album exists in this world and it's all connected and I'm an auteur and like here's the entirety of the visual statement in one go and it also solves for the fact that like maybe there's a way that people might be more interested as I think is emblematic in the J-Lo project to be honest because I think when JLo lo dropped the in individual music video for Can't Get Enough, the single from This Is Me Now. Mm -hmm. As with most major music videos these days, it felt like nobody really paid that much attention, but because of the audacity of this hour-long film, for better or worse, and whether people like or dislike the film, like it's definitely done the job of like making more people pay attention to both this album and to this project in general than I think anybody would have to a standalone Jennifer Lopez album in 2024. so I think it does have utility in that way I but what I do wonder just in thinking about the Jennifer Lopez album is and and film is is it ultimately an effective artistic tool because I think like for everybody because it requires a lot to be good it requires more than a music video to -hmm. be good. Jennifer Lopez has made a lot of great music videos that will like live on through history. Like she's got a lot of them because she's an incredible performer. She's obviously beautiful, star quality, bangers. She's got all the ingredients to make a great music video. Is Jennifer Lopez the type of auteur artist in all of the ways that making one of these demands? I would argue judging by this film no <laughs> it's hard to be i don't think casey was particularly successful at it i don't think drake has ever been really successful at it this is a whole set of demands that is way more than the average than what the sort of average pop star cycle demanded in just the age of the album and the music video and blah blah blah, blah. so it's weird because on the one hand i feel like i can see the utility of it but on the other hand i think it lays threadbare like that there's only a select type of artist it feels like to me that can really make this something that feels artistically valuable to the project in the way that they want it to be and I think that's why we hold Beyonce up in this way not just because she kind of reinvented it for uh, the, the streaming era the internet era the social media era or whatever redefined it in that moment however false that narrative might be that's the sort of narrative that we have yeah. but because she's really fucking good at making them she's real. she is the type of artist that knows how to make these feel meaningful and make it feel like there's a reason for them to exist beyond her own vanity and make it feel like they are building something that the music itself wouldn't convey on its own although the music can stand on its own at the same time so that's a really hard thing to do And I just think that's kind of the interesting paradox of this moment where it's like, I totally see the usefulness and I can see us maybe even moving more in this direction moving forward because of all the problems with how to present a visual aspect to albums moving forward. But yet I do think they're very hard to do well. They're very hard to make meaningful. And I think that's obvious in the sense that like, there's been so many of them in the wake of Beyonce and yet so few have really risen to the point of like, zeitgeist in any meaningful way.
1: Which is a shame because of how expensive they are. Like I was yeah, the right. other day, and it's funny that this has been such a big part of the JLo press tour, but I was listening to a talk the other day from the lady who was at that point, like Parkwoods general manager talking about the self-titled project being like, we could talk for hours and hours about how we financed this. And like, I will tell you that not everybody could do this. So I think you can be like as ambitious as Beyonce, perhaps you've a great idea for some kind of long form project, carrying it out. And have
0: the talent to do it. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Carrying it out. Totally different ball game or you know like the narrative is there and we we talked about this a little earlier but like the narrative's there the finance somehow showed up but like it didn't translate to a cultural moment in the vein of like a lemonade and that's true as you say of like music videos in general right now like it's really rough out there despite being a moment full of really interesting work maybe more interesting and wonderful work than ever just in terms of like quantity but we don't have the same water coolers so to speak it's really right hard to like cut through the noise of of algorithms one thing i also thought of a little earlier while you were speaking is like so artists will sometimes explain visual albums in terms of like i'm an album artist i hate the streaming era and like that's all fine believable but it's interesting like when you make it so that your album is best enjoyed or makes the most sense front to back, you're actually commanding streams in a different way. So you're asking that Mm. someone plays the whole album and then the whole album again. Like, I'm not gonna turn Lemonade off at Hold Up. I'm locked in to the end. And you know, I mean, like, this wasn't ultimately a visual album. It's funny, like, there's a sub conversation here about how desperate fans were for it to be one. But you know, when Midnight's came out, I was so desperate with that album just to like hear what everyone else claimed to be hearing in it because I was like, (laughs) What, okay, not everyone so, else,
0: Cindy. Not everyone <laughs> not else, everyone else. Claiming. So, so
1: I listened to that album front to back probably <laughs> yeah. like a dozen times since it came yeah. out. Just yeah. trying to be like, I feel insane. Like, what am I missing here? And yeah. at the end of the day, I'm the one that streamed it that many times in full. Like, she still got my streams. Yeah, that's right. So there is something interesting about that where at the end of the day, you are still getting an album's worth of streams every time someone wants to like kind of watch Lemonade in their head.
0: Right. I, that makes so much sense. And I think what's also just fascinating just as a rejoinder to the Beyonce conversation is Renaissance, an album with no visuals, and Yet. you know, shows how Beyonce is able to pull that off without them because that record is also begs to be listened to front to back and it almost can't not be because it's literally strung together in that particular way. And that only speaks to the fact that like however Beyonce chooses to make her statement, her era statement, like she can do it and she's not even in a way it's a flex of saying like I'm not even be holden to this thing I'm known for, this visual album, in order to create that same sort of impetus or that impulse. Right. So anyway, this is a endlessly fascinating conversation. I feel like I could take us in a million directions, but I'm gonna ask you one last question, which is what is a visual album, maybe a lesser-known visual album, and it could be from any time that you know you've come across in your studies that you just would like love people to look at, like and you know, we'll go out on a song from one of those albums, visual albums. But is there Ooh. something that sort of has come up? in your journey through this milieu that you feel like you people who enjoy visual albums but maybe only know the ones that are most obvious should know about.
1: Okay, so I'm going to answer with the first two that came to mind. And okay. one, again, like let's not get too worked up in like how much of an album or how long it is, whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, so, yeah, Whatever that means to you.
1: Yeah, one of them that I just thought of is Melissa the EP by FK Twigs which had a f- accompanying mm-hmm. film. That's the more recent one that I just like really enjoyed. I've watched a lot of, I have to say, like I've watched a lot of garbage doing this project. I have completely (laughs) fried my brain. I may never be able to write again. But that was like a real breath of fresh air. An older one where I actually wrote in my notes, I was like, pop stars don't have to be this talented anymore. That's a direct (laughs) quote, was Word of Mouth, which is a video album from the early 80s by Tony Basil. And the most famous song from that album is Mickey, as in like mm-hmm. hey mickey yes. but it's if i remember correctly like pretty short and sweet but where there's a ton of just like as you say like x factor crammed into like every shot of that that's just like a you've got to put that on for your next work break or whatever but i feel like there's so many interesting subhistory in this history is how many interesting projects we just like don't talk about anymore mm-hmm. because they went like direct to video in the early 80s and right. that's not right remembered by, you know, we don't remember Tony Basil as like an MTV icon necessarily on the uh, same scale as like a Janet or a Michael, but very, very cool.
0: I can't wait to watch that. I'm going to turn that on like the minute we hang up. So I think we should go out on Tony Basil's okay. Mickey. Who wouldn't want to go out on that? Yes. Sydney Overdeck, thank you so, so much for being there. Everybody subscribe to Sydney's newsletter. I can't wait to read these stories as they come out. It's called Mononym Mythology. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you again for having me.